everybody. Welcome to the Coach's Spot. I am your host, Jason T. Powell, with my co-host. What's up, everybody? This is Will Smith. Will Smith. Listen to him talking into the microphone and everything. <laughs> uh, I can say I'm really excited today because first off, we actually have a guest, Yay. which uh, <laughs> has been few and far between, although all our best rated shows have guests. Yes. And the funny thing is, all our best rated shows have gymnastics guests, so it's even better. <laughs> so today will be no different, I am sure. I am so excited to introduce y'all to Kirk Mango. Yeah. He is, uh, I, I, I don't have my glasses on, but I wrote everything really big so I can read it. So, um, although I know most of it, I know most of it. He div division one uh, champion at NIU, which uh, Northern Illinois University is my old stomping grounds. I used to go to DeKalb all the time. My father-in-law actually worked for DeKalb Corn Company. Most of the silos you see in that area, he designed. He's, a, wow. he's an engineer. So he did a cooling. Anyway, I digress. Let's talk about, <laughs> let's talk about Kirk. Uh, Three-time All-American, right? Is it yes, one of those was high school and then uh, the two in college. All right. And then, uh, uh, let's see, I memorized it all. And you were a ring specialist for all of us. I I was. I did other events, but that was that was the event I was most passionate about. Yeah. And uh, he beat quite in college. You beat quite a few Olympians, didn't you? A few. Well, a lot of people. A lot of yeah. A lot of people don't realize that at, at that time frame, um, at that level, all the Olympians were college gymnasts. Yeah. So they that's where the Olympians came from. So Kurt Thomas, Bart Connor, Jim Hartong, Larry. Jer I mean, I could name. They right. they were all in those competitions. You competed against them just like anyone else. Right. And I was a youngin then. So I looked up to all those guys. So <laughs> I was, I was, let's see, 70, 79, right? That's when I graduated college. Yeah. Yeah. You got, so I was, I was, I was nine. So was, <laughs> wait yeah. a minute. How old am I? <laughs> <laughs> That's weird. Cause now we're the same age. It's so weird. Yeah, exactly. How do you, it's hard to graduate college when you're five. How do you look younger than me? That's so weird. Um, well, once you get right. once you get to sixty, you start going backwards. You go backwards. So we met. We met in between because you're yeah. you're already like back to fifty, right? Yeah. Uh, he he also wrote the book uh, "Becoming a True Champion." Yes. Uh, which is a great book, by the way. Absolutely. It, I was telling him on the phone that uh, my favorite gymnastics book until I read this one was Arkayev's from Russia. And then I read this and I was like, the, the best part about the book is, is, and here's, here's my humble opinion. The best part about the book is it's not just about becoming an athletic champion. No. It is so real everyday life. And if you want to improve who you are as a person, read the book because it's not just about athletics. It, it seems like it is at first, but it, it's not at all. And uh, so Congrats to you, sir. It's a very good book. Very good I'm very, book. very humbled. And thank you so much for the compliment. I do remember the comment you just made. A principal came to watch me speak. Mm -hmm. Our principal, where I taught. I, was, I did some speaking for teens in the area. And I happened to be doing one at our school. And we got done. And he said exactly the same thing you said. Exactly. He said, you know, everything you're teaching, it's, it's actually life principles. I go, yes, that's what it's about. <laughs> you know, at the end of the book, I talk about that. Maybe this is more than just about sports. Yeah, right. It ends up being more. And that's the point of the book. Yes. Well, and let's, let's talk about, we touched on this a little bit before we started recording, but I want to really touch on the definition of true champion, being a true champion and how it is a, I don't, I don't want to say dying breed, but it is a disappearing breed. It seems like uh, I'm actually I'm actually developing a T-shirt now for the coach's spot, and on the back it's going to say my pronouns are champ and champion. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, but talk on that a little bit because you you you've been at it. You've you've been a true champion, and I know you probably look around and you're like, what's going on? What's happening? Well, that. Um... And you raised two division one athletes, didn't you? Yes, yes. So and a lot of my motivation came from seeing those experiences and the culture shift. I, I've seen the culture shift. It, it's become not only in sports, but I think in society as a whole, it's become more about 
what's in it for me. It's an outside in approach to life. And, and my experience as a parent, an athlete, a coach, it's the other way around. I have a very inside out approach to life. So if you want something, well, it's up to you, regardless of the adversity you face. Right. And I hope that came out pretty clear in the book that it did. That, yeah. that's really, really important to me. And um, that's where I thought the shift was occurring as I talked to parents, coaches, and where they were placing responsibility for someone's success outside of the athlete. So a, a true champion to talk specifically about that is a person who, just like the subtitle, achieving athletic excellence from the inside out. It's not about the money. It's not about the scholarship. It's not about the fame and everything else that comes with that. Okay, yes, you can have those as goals. I'm not, and I state that in the book. Those are great goals, but keep it in perspective. And that's the part I was concerned about. They've lost perspective. Athletes are working out to get a scholarship rather than it being an outcome. They forgot about the process. It's process over outcome. It's become flipped. It's outcome over process. If the process is great, okay, but I want to win. I want, I want the money. I want the fame. I want the scholarship. And I reverse those things. And that was my experience as a coach, as an athlete, and as a parent. Both of my daughters had some adversity they had to face as well. And, you know, trying to teach those lessons in our culture today was not easy. Um, go over this because I love this. Um, speak on why you wrote the book. Okay. So, um, a lot of these feelings were growing as I grew as a parent and as a coach, you know, through time, I, I saw a shift. I guess that's a good word to use a shift moving in a direction I was not real happy with, I guess, just based on my experiences. So, when my daughter oldest was about 12, I'm guessing, somewhere in that range, my youngest was nine. And she had a soccer tournament out in Palatine. I don't know if you're familiar with Palatine, oh, yeah. Illinois. Okay. I, I went to school in Buffalo Grove. Okay, so you're, okay. So we were out with the parents and we were sitting around a table and I had, had various discussions about my own philosophies, you know, differences of opinion and so on and so forth in the past, but not really a huge thing. Mm -hmm. We're sitting eating lunch and all of a sudden the conversation started talking out about the parents started talking about why they felt the parents that their kids and that team they were on weren't as good as they thought they should be. So I kind of sat back and I'm like, Ooh, this, this is going to be good. So I'm just kind of listening. And I, I 15, 20 minutes. And I was really taken back at how all of the comments focused on everything outside of the athlete, mm -hmm. coach, where he placed the players, how he trained the kids, uh, the referee, the bad calls that were made, the positions they played, the time they played, who got this, I mean, on and on and on. And it finally, I, I mean, I had enough personally. I just <laughs> said, you know, how many of you guys were high school athletes and a couple raised their hands. And then how many of you play, competed maybe even at the college level? Nobody had done that. And how many of you completed, competed against anyone in anything outside of college, you know, at, at a national or elite level? And again, there was no experience there. And I just said, look, I'm, I'm just here to say that what you're talking about is completely different than my experience as an athlete. I've experienced those things and competed against some, you know, world-class athletes. And I'm telling you, it starts with the athlete. So they kind of listened a little bit, but you, you know how that goes. It's it kind of ended the conversation. Right. conversation Everybody just looked down at the. Yeah, it's just food. like. <laughs> Next subject. Okay. Yeah, wait, let's talk about lunch. What are you getting? You know, <laughs> so I got in the car and I remember saying to my wife, you know, and I had no, I, I'd never even thought about writing a book or anything, let alone mm. traditionally publishing it, which is a whole story in itself. Right. Um, and I wanted the credibility that went with it. I thought that was important for what I was trying to teach rather than self-publishing it, because that's a whole nother path. Mm -hmm. So uh, I got in the car and I said, honey, the, if you'll excuse the expression, they kind of have it asked backwards. And I really think I could write a book that would help people. And she looked at me like I was nuts. <laughs> so uh, that's really was the impetus to writing the book. And I started, I think, 2002 and didn't get it published till 2012. It took that long. I got you know, Nadia Komnich wrote the forward for me. And right. I got that connection yeah. through Mark Connor 
where Connor's married to her. Yeah, so that's kind of uh, how that all meet. worked out. Yeah. Yeah. We went to their meet last year. I had a girl. Here's a, here's where it starts with the athlete. Here's, here's a decent story. So I have this girl and I've coached her for years. I'm actually at a new gym now, but the gym I was at, I was there for 10 years and Pally. So Pally okay. listening, this is, this is for you. First off, this kind of explains our relationship. We were always joking around with each other. One day she's at the chalk tray and I go, Hey Pally, you really need to get the toes over the bar on that cast handstand. You know, I really need you to push through your shoulders. And she looks at me and she goes, you can't tell me what to do. <laughs> and I go, it's literally my job description to tell you what to do. <laughs> and you know, she started giggling and everything. So we go to the coma, we go to, you know, we're performing at uh, Cox arena. I think it is. Uh, we just had watched the college gymnast the night before and she's a level nine and we're on vault. And she had this huge souk, one of the few kids still throwing souks. So she had this huge pike souk. She goes down the first time, hits, hits the pike. It's pretty nice. Walks that we're walking back down the runway. She looks at me. She goes, Hey, I'm going to lay it out. <laughs> I'm like, you've never gone to a hard surface ever. And she's like, yeah, I'm feeling it. And she jumps on the runway and she does. I'm this isn't even just for the story. The most beautiful laid out flat hips, gorgeous souk ever laid out, lands it. I have it on video. I still tell people I'm, I'm Hey, watch this video. Like, <laughs> cause it was just her mentality, but she was to the point she, as an athlete was like, I'm going to take response, you know, and she, she's 14 years old at the time. So she's like, eh, I'm going to do it. I feel it. I'm going to go for it. You know? Um, and I'm glad her and I had that kind of relationship where she could say, yeah. I think I, cause if I would have said, you know what, you're not ready. She wouldn't have done it. Right. But we had that kind of relationship where she trusted me. And, and I said, you know what? It, the pike looks so good. Yeah. Let's go ahead. So and you trusted her. I trusted her. There's another yeah. good example. I trusted her. I, I knew she wasn't going to freak out. I knew she was a competitor. I knew that, you know, she's a tough kid. I mean, she's got, a bunch of brother i think she has four brothers so she was she was used to giving it as good as she got it so you know she's just a good kid but she took it as a responsibility you know on on to her as an athlete her mom wasn't like what's she doing throwing a layout she wasn't you know on that same note uh same group same same uh level nines there was another girl and she was competing overshoots and we were at a meet and it wasn't state, it wasn't regionals, it was just a meet. Right. And uh, I was spotting her and she she never freaks out, always has a great overshoot, freaks out, pulls the bar in. I mean, I had to catch her an inch before the bar and get her over the bar, you know, and coaches were going, nice spot coach, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I took it out of her routine. I said, you're not competing it. We're doing a basic routine, no overshoot. And because uh, I knew her mentality and I knew because she crashed then it was going to go on for that meet. It was going to be fine on Monday, but right now. And so I took it out and I walked into the stands and her mom looks at me and I start explaining why I took it out. She goes, I trust you. You always have their safety at heart. I trust you. You need to explain zero. And that is so rare. Yes, it so, is. like it, it threw me back. Like I didn't know what to say next because I, it's so rare nowadays, but that's exactly what you're saying on the other extreme, yep. you know, that, Oh, I trust you go right ahead. But I hear it now at my son's baseball games and he's eight. Why don't they do my wife does it? Cause my wife played softball in uh, Algonquin. As a matter of fact, she played softball and she's always like, why don't they work more fielding during practice? Why don't they work that? I go, he has coaches. Trust the coaches. Will actually coaches him too, but uh, trust the coaches and and let it go. And you know, I have to get on her about it. And as a coach, I'm the exact opposite. I'm like, please coach them. I want nothing to do with them. <laughs> you coach them. I just come to the games and enjoy them. So it. Uh, but that's an example of you know the athletes you know, and the parents being, but that's so rare in today's society. It is. And now you're getting to that conversation that I just told you about why the book was written. Listen, because that that's more commonplace today. 
you know, even if you go into the classroom, you know, parents coming in and saying, well, why did my, why did you fail my kid on this test? Or right. why aren't they starting? Or why aren't they getting, the, you know, that's those things. That's what that shift is that I was talking about. And I, I want to, something you point out, I think is important just to mention. And I think I talk about this in the book as well. I, I don't want to minimize the importance of coaches, mm-hmm. good coaches or good parenting, solid parenting like some of the things you're talking about because I, I i and i was a little concerned about how that would come across in the book because it's i didn't think it, i didn't no. think it came across like that at okay all, at all. because some people would take it well it's all my responsibility well, well see I, and this is how i kind of describe it because parents ask me that when i speak and mm-hmm. i'll say these parenting good solid parenting and good coaches are essential i mean right. it, it, and you any really great athlete has something like that in their corner but if the athlete isn't willing to walk the path, these two things, the parents and the coach, doesn't matter. So that's yeah. one of the reasons why I think that it's very important for the athlete. And why I wrote the book for athletes, parents and coaches was another piece of that. Mm-hmm. But if, if you read through it, it, I wanted to write it so that it spoke to the, like we sat in the corner. Well, how did you do this? How, I wanted to come across that way. More like, well, this is how I did it. And this is the path. And you have to find your own path. But these are the principles inside you need. Mm-hmm. And because I think that's important because you get a kid like that with even a little bit of talent and you give them to a good coach with some good parenting and the potential inside that kid is huge, right? It's just huge. And, and that's where I think we're missing it. There, the, the mindset is kind of secondary and it's the win that's primary. No, no, no. The win comes because of this, right? Mm-hmm. That takes time to develop. And so I just wanted to point that out that, Coaching and parenting are, are very good, very important and essential for good kids and good athletes. But without that kid taking those steps, you know, it's hard to get anything else to happen. You also mentioned in the book, uh, and you touched on it a little bit about uh, my my favorite my favorite parts were when you wrote down things that destroy being a champion. Yeah, and you mentioned the faux pas which parents never want to hear, which is gym hopping. Yes. And changing coaches. And you and I both have seen that destroy a career. Yep. Because you, I think parents, especially, and I love parents to death. I am a, I had a parent last night. We sat down and talked for 10 minutes. I'm like, anytime you need me, just ask. Cause I'm into, I love communication with the parents because it's funny. They pay so much, especially in club program, uh, volleyball, baseball, uh, as the three of us can attest to, and gymnastics. You're paying all this money for a club program, right? I mean, volleyball is not cheap when it no, comes. No, I know to my club. youngest did that. Yeah, <laughs> I know. it is not. Soccer is the same way. It is not yep. cheap, and you're paying all this money for for coaching and hopefully great coaching, and they have your kid for four hours, and then as soon as your athlete gets in the car as a parent you undermine four hours of great coaching. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, my parents are like, always ask, what can I do as a parent? I can say, you can say, good job. How was your day? And there's always tomorrow. That's mm-hmm. it. That's all you need to do as a parent. And that's a hard thing. Cause I'm, I'm a parent and I know that's a hard thing, but I actually cherish that as a parent that I get to do that part of his life. I get to just be like, eh, there's tomorrow, buddy. Yep. You know, I, uh, but you know, it's, it, they can destroy it right there, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad you touched on in the book. I'm glad you touched on even, you know, for a brief moment, uh, gym hopping and how yeah. detrimental and not just gymnastics. I'm talking about every sport, every sport. See, people tend to get very selective. Like that's their sport they're involved in. And they think this only happens in my sport. Yeah. And that's, that's another reason I wrote the book. People say, well, and the cover, as you notice, is not a gymnast. I had an option from the publisher to choose a gymnast. Mm-hmm. And again, that picture of the track guy, yeah, that was chosen by student athletes at my school. Oh, that's awesome. I did not choose the, I that's brought the, all the pictures to school and I talked to girls and guy athletes from freshman year to senior year in all sports. 100% of them chose that picture. That's awesome. So that's why that picture is there and not a gymnast because the principles go beyond that. One of the um, most important things or nicest things that I used to like to say to my kids 
when they used to talk to me about their experiences would be, look, I just love to watch you play. Yeah. Just love to watch you play. You know, it's not that I wouldn't try to inspire them. I, I, you know, a lot of things I write, I would, I sometimes I'd leave notes on the mirror just to inspire the kid, not about the yeah. coach or anything. That's the coach's job. Right. But you know, uh, my one younger kid came back. Actually, she called me. We were on, on a Christmas thing and she had tryouts for her elite club team mm-hmm. and she didn't make the team. Oh. She called me in tears. And now again, my youngest was five, four. And I'm like, she wanted to quit her other sports in eighth grade and play or seventh or eighth grade and play only volleyball. And I'm like, why? She goes, cause I want to play the division one level. And I'm like, uh, honey, I'm five, six. Your mom is five, seven. You're lucky to be five, four. I didn't say any of that, but that's going in my head. You know and I'm thinking? You know, it's adverse, but I don't, you know, I don't know, you know, the whatever. So I allowed her to make that decision at that time. And she tried out for her club, this club team. And I think it was the second year she was on the club. She didn't make the top team. She made the two yeah. team. Now this team, they, they've got five top teams, but you know how kids are. I want a yeah. top team, right? Yeah. So my I don't know if this is heartless or what, but I, I said, look, I understand. But my question to you is, what are you going to do about it? Yeah, that's it. And then she would say, well, what can I do about it? And I might give her some little pieces here and there, but it was up to her. And so, and all of her successes were up from there. And so it wasn't, okay, well, we're going to leave this club and we're going to go down the street where you can play on the number one team. Yeah. It was not, that wasn't even a thought. Yeah. So, and that's kind of what. And that's important. That's important that that wasn't a thought. That's a life lesson to me. That was a life lesson. It, okay, you didn't make, and you may not make it next year, but what right. are you doing about it to make sure it happened? What are the steps? Those are the things that take you outside the athletic arena that we're yeah. missing today. And that's, again, why I wrote the book. Well, and the bottom line is the, the book, bottom line is accountability. Yeah. If you read the whole book, it's, right. it's accountability. It's ownership of what you're doing. You know, a very, very valuable lesson I learned was, you know, being from Chicago, I'm a huge Bulls fan and watching the last dance and what I pulled away from that whole thing, besides the fact that not one person said, Hey, Michael Jordan's a nice guy. Like uh, nobody said that, (laughs) but, but when he didn't make his team, what was it? His sophomore year or junior year, he didn't make the team and he went home to his mom. I think this is what makes Michael Jordan. She didn't call the counselor. She didn't call the coach. She didn't call the superintendent. She didn't call a teacher. She didn't complain to the athletic director. She said, what are you going to do about it? Right. Are you work harder or are you going to give up? Those are your right. two choices. Cause I'm not calling anybody to make sure you get on the team. You his, know? his story is very, very similar to my daughter's because I think he didn't make the varsity team, which is what he wanted. Right. He didn't make a team, but he didn't make the varsity team. Yeah. That's what happened to my daughter. She didn't make the number one club team. She made the number two club team. Well, honey, the number two club team, a lot of them get scholarships too to do. She wants yeah. to go. I mean, this is a great club. That's not what she wanted. Okay, I'm fine. It's like when she wanted to leave her other sports. Okay, this is what you want. And this is what you want to do. Here's the path. It's up to you. Right. That's kind of how I parented them. Well, and, I, and here's the thing. If you parent them at a young age like that, you don't have to parent them when they're 23. That's right. You don't have to support them from 18 to 50 right. and they're living in your basement. That's right. the main, you know, they have basements in Chicago, y'all. Because <laughs> we're in Texas, we don't have basements. <laughs> As a parent, probably one of the most proud things that I see uh, out of both of my girls is the things that they're doing now, financially and business-wise, success-wise, I can trace right back to these experiences. Yeah. They are very independent, uh, fiercely independent. In right. fact, my one daughter is a life coach. She started her own business several years ago, uh, five years ago, has become very successful. And the other, my other daughter used to teach for four years, got out of teaching and tripled her income in the first, I think, year and a half. And she's very successful for um, something to do with software. I forget what company she's at. She was actually headhunted into the company she's at. Nice. So, but that the main thing isn't, again, the main thing isn't the amount of money they're making. It's the things that allow that to happen. The, the things that I can trace right back to her sports experiences. All well, of those the, things. And those foundations. Symptom. 
The money is a symptom of being a champion. You yeah. don't have to go out and, and pursue that money. It will come to you. Yes. When you learn as an athlete, and I don't, here's the thing. If, if you'd never win anything, Jonathan Horton didn't win his first meet till he was 16 years old. If you don't win anything for your whole athletic career, I did not win my first athletic competition until I was 35 years old. But I had put in place the things to make me successful to do Correct. that. Yep. I won a golf tournament at 35 years old. I won by 13 strokes. And I had no idea I'd won. It was this afterthought to me. I went into the clubhouse and he's like, oh, you're a leader. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah. I, it, it was it, it, the outcome did not matter. It was the process and determining I was going to do it. But the outcome is secondary. I don't care. It's the process that I was uh, that I was in depth in. And I didn't win anything till then. And I've been successful in a lot of things. I've been successful in comedy. I did stand up comedy for a bunch of years. I've been successful in coaching, uh, even with problems going on in my life, because I was addicted, if you will, to the process of what I was doing and doing it well. And so even when other things in my life were falling apart, my coaching was on track because mm -hmm. I just followed the process. This is how you become successful as a coach. And I just followed it. So those life lessons you get, and when you talk about being a true champion, you may never get a gold medal around your neck and you can still be a champion. Just Absolutely. like there's plenty, there's plenty of people that have a gold medal around their neck that pardon, they're losers. Yes, I agree. You know? 100%. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and to me, and I said this to my daughter, one of my oldest daughter one time, I, I told her when she was telling me all of the accomplishments that she had in the company and what they were doing for her because of that. And I said to her, this is what it was all about. Yeah. It wasn't about the scholarship, this, this, this piece. It's the idea. Because even if you leave this company, those same things you bring with them mm -hmm. somewhere else. They're, they're inside, they're intrinsic. Right. Now, a funny story that I tell parents when, um, or not funny, actually, just relative to what you're saying. Um, when I talk about that concept that you're referring to, they'll ask me questions. Well, what about your kids? You know, they got the scholarship. They both got Division I scholarships. You were a champion. You did that. You did. Well, you're saying these things. It's about the process. But then you look at all these things that have happened. And I said, okay, let me ask you a question just to put it in perspective. I'll say, Let's assume just for the sake of argument, and you guys know gymnastics, anything can happen. A grip can tear, something can happen, you can slip, even things that you've trained for, there's no guarantee, right? Something could happen, fall, whatever. Okay, so I said, um, based on the adversity that I faced in that year, let's assume just for the sake of discussion, because Mark Connor was in that meet. You know, you're talking right. about a guy who was already on the US national team. <laughs> right. In high school, and I hadn't even been to the year before I, I wasn't what 30th in conference. I was not good. So let's just assume for the sake of discussion that I placed fourth and they said, okay. I said, all right. So did I learn anything less? That was my question to them. And they just right. looked at me like dumbfounded. Well, you didn't win yet, but did I learn anything less? The process did I not accomplish from where I was to fourth? Wasn't that a tremendous feat in and of itself? Well, yeah. Well then, the process is what it's about. It's not the fact that I had or won the gold medal. It's what got me to fourth or fifth or eighth or to sectionals for crying out loud. Not, you know, they, they, they've forgotten about that. Right. Oh, you, you didn't take first. Well then, uh, okay, well, no, it matters. It really does matter. Well, and, and the bottom line is it's, you were better than you were yesterday. Yes. And that's the bottom line. People like I, I lift weights. I didn't start lifting till my son was born because he called me a superhero. And I'm like, well, I, now I want to look like a superhero because he called me <laughs> a superhero. So I started lifting weights and then I tore my Achilles and then I hurt my shoulder. Uh, had to have my shoulder reconstructed from all the years of spotting. And I was out for a little bit and I'm back now and I've been lifting again and everything else. My, when I look and I'm like, that's what I want to look like. I look at the rock. Okay, I'm 5'8". I'm never going to be... I'm never going to look like the rock. I'm never going to be 263 pounds and 8% body fat. That's what I would like, but I just try to be better than I was yesterday. Yep. And that's what I, I told that little gymnast that missed her overshoot. 
I told her one day, cause she's very hard on herself. She's very type a, mm-hmm. which is very gymnastic orientated. Yep. yep. And I said, look, your only goal is to be better than you were yesterday. And I'm going to tell you something. There's going to be days you fail and you're not better than you were yesterday. You were better yesterday, be it soreness, be it a pulled muscle, be it anything, be it that your boyfriend broke up with you, whatever, whatever it, there's going to be days you fail. And then guess what? You get up the next morning and you try to be better than you were yesterday. That's right. And then that's a big focus in the book. Yeah. And then guess what happens? You, you, uh, one day you turn around and then they're putting a gold medal around your neck and you're like, where'd this come from? Like I was just trying to be better than I was yesterday. Well, it comes from those little steps. Yeah. Right. Those little steps up that ladder. Absolutely. And every, you know, there's so many cliches that go along with it and, but they're all true. They are. And, and in the cynical world we're in right now, nobody, nobody believes them anymore. No. Well, they see the end Propaganda. Yep. And it's the end result. You know, they see the end result that that is common with kids. You know, you're a little kid, you want to play little league and you watch, you know, uh, the professionals play, you know, Ernie Banks. I don't know if you even remember that name. That's (laughs) okay. So, you know, you're you're looking at him and you're watching him play and you're like, so that's the learning part because the kid does not, you know, they don't see the connection yet between where they are and that piece. They don't know that they've, the path they've traveled. Um, and that's the part the coach needs to teach and the kids need to understand, you know, and that's, again, again, we're hitting a lot on why we're BATC and what, why it's important. Right. Right. I'm sure Will. I, I want to get to Will's questions. Do you have some questions? You're going to take, take a breath. I'm going to take a breath okay. and let you talk. I was wondering, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I don't want to talk. I'll let you finish. He's my podcast sure. wife. <laughs> I don't want him to speak. <laughs> well, one of the things when I was reading the book, so first of all, a little bit of my background, I have two sons. I have a senior and I have a freshman. We're a football, baseball, wrestling track family. We have no gymnasts in our household. But- Wait a minute, Texas? Oh, yeah. yeah <laughs> big, big surprise. No, football is king in our household. Yep. Um, one of the things that I was reading this book, and I was telling my wife this, I was like, oh, my goodness, my boys are going to read this book. Because obviously, as he wrote, wrote it for athletes. But as an educator, I, I'm seeing, you know, as you're talking about intrinsic and extrinsic, because, you know, you talk about the process versus the reward. And we live in a society where the reward has become more important than the process. And, you know, we, my sons, especially my oldest son, now I, we're going to do this as a homework project for my boys. They're going <laughs> to read this book. Um, but, you know, with social media, with Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, and they see all these athletes and they see them showing the cars and the jewelry and the houses and things like that. And you mentioned athletes in the book who are champions, but not true champions. Mm-hmm. who took the shortcuts like Tim Montgomery and Marion Jones and Jose Canseco. And you can mention like Lance Armstrong. He's a big, and I, I obviously I don't know the person, but I think character shows itself when you have flaws and you have tr- struggles and things, but he loves Odell Beckham Jr. And I would not call him a true champion. Mm-hmm. But so when he sees this stuff, when I tell him, if for someone who hasn't read the book, can you kind of just for a minute kind of discuss what's the difference between a champion and a true champion? Well, I would, I would, uh, a champion, a lot of people can be champions. They, they win medals. They, they win things. You see them all over the place at higher levels in sports. Mm-hmm. Um, they happens in business too, right? They, whatever, whatever uh, awards they might give, um, in that particular arena, but a true champion, they evaluate the decisions and the things that they do based on what's going to help them on the inside. That's the difference. It, it, there's more weight on the character part, the the um, pieces that build you from the inside out. Again, like the subtitle, and that's the difference. Where the champion just wins and may have horrible character. Uh, there's there's a whole chapter on character in the book, basically. Right. Right. So that's to me is where there's a huge difference between just a champion and a true champion. A ch- true champion is looking beyond just today and the win and the money. And it's looking at how it builds them on the inside. I think um, Jason's story about how he had won that golf tournament yeah. and didn't even know it. See, that speaks <laughs> to that, you know, because he was more concerned about the process. It's hard not to become a true champion when you're focused on that process piece, because character needs to be part of that. And I think I talk in the book about uh, the athletic code, um, that whole story in there. 
that is hard for kids today. I understand the peer pressure, but what they need to understand is what being able to say no to things like that brings to their competitive table. Yeah. Because it's hard. Anything that's hard, that's good for you, that you push yourself through is going to build on that grit. I don't even mention the word grit in the book because the whole book is grit. Yeah. Yeah. You can't go through the book and do the things in the book without developing grit, inner grit. And so that's the thing that I think is important that separates the champion from the true champion. So the true champion will win awards too, gold medals, sometimes yes, sometimes no, but it's not all about that. Yeah. And well, so that, go ahead. that was important. And one of the things I try to teach my boys is that you can always have talent and you can always have skill. Or one of the things I always try to teach my athletes is that there's definitely places where talent and skill can definitely shine and can definitely, you'll win. But there's definitely times that you're going to find someone who's more talented, who's more skillful. And if you haven't done the work, if you haven't put in the process, if you haven't studied, if you haven't prepared, it doesn't matter how talented or how skillful you are. Eventually, you're going to find somebody who is more talented, who is mm -hmm. more skillful, mm -hmm. but has done the preparation, who has done the work, who's done the sweat equity. And you're just your gifts is not going to make you successful. And mm -hmm. because you haven't actually done the work, you've cut corners, you just hoped and, you know, you know, you've, you thought that you could just get by on you know, your talents. Mm -hmm. And then you go, and all of a sudden you, you can't go back and you don't know why and you become frustrated. And then you try to cut other corners, whether mm -hmm. it's performance enhancements, things like that. And then all of a sudden you find yourself, you know, frustrated and, and angry. Um, and you, then you just flat out cheat. I think, the well, I think the best example of that is if you ever watch hard knocks on HBO with, when they cut, these guys from these football teams, they cut, uh, what do they cut down from 70? Yeah, those are like typically uh, mid eighties down to 53. Yeah. Mid eighties down to 53. Yeah. And these guys that are getting cut are unbelievably oh, talented. Absolutely. The, the best but of the best. 95% of the time they're lazy. Yeah. They're not in the film room. They, they show up late for film. Sure. They uh, they're not in the weight room when they're supposed to be And the trainers. Like, where are they? And they have to go look for them. Those are the guys that get cut because they're not in the process. It, when you get, when you get in, it, when you get so into the process that all the, all the fear, all the things on the outskirts go away yep. because you're so focused in and you get so focused in on the process. You forget about everything going on around you and there's not time for fear. There's not time to question if you're going to mess up. There's not time to do that because you're immense. You're in that process. And there's so many examples nowadays. And I don't want to, again, I don't want to be cliche with all the examples that there are out there, but for people that, that look around, I think a good example would be Tim Tebow. Mm -hmm. Tim Tebow, if you look from the outside, looks like he failed in the NFL. Right. And if there's anything he's doing now, it's winning. He's winning right. life. Absolutely. Right. He, he, a lot of people would say, well, he was a failure in the NFL. No, he he's winning at life. Have you right. seen his wife and his life? But he's also addicted to the process. The man still looks like a Greek God. Yeah. Like he's still, <laughs> he's still, and that people forget that too. They his forget. Ministry is absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. He's an unbelievable human being. Yeah. And no matter what your belief system is, he's still, anybody that lives that, he lives the life by example instead mm -hmm. i mean he also preaches but he has yeah. ministries but he lives the life by example he doesn't he doesn't he could have easily stopped kneeling after touchdowns when everybody yep. was criticizing him yep. he could easily stopped but he said no this is who i am mm -hmm. and he got he got into that process and that might be you know a lot of people would have bailed on that and they said no i want to be successful I want more Instagram followers. I want all these things. So I'm going to be this way now. And he could have gone the exact opposite. Yeah, he's so a good example. He's a really good example of getting yep. stuck in the process where people from the outside might look in and say, oh, no, he failed. Yeah, well, that's right. because you don't follow him now. He's yeah, that's kind of, that's the point I was trying to make about the story I was telling the parents about myself when I said, if I took fourth, did I learn anything less? Mm -hmm. See, because the focus yeah. is on that piece, not, not the metal. Can I speak to that talent thing that you brought up? A oh, absolutely, ago? please. Okay, so talent is an interesting piece. Um, you need it to be successful in sports. I mean, obviously, sure. but it's it's an intangible. 
Like, you know, how do you, Absolutely. you know, somebody, a coach just says, Oh, you're talented and you're not, you know, I'm like, wait, I mean, what would my coach and you, you read, you both read the book, correct? So, you know, my story. So would my coach before that situation happened have said I was talented enough to win a state championship? Yeah. I don't think he would have see. So it, it's an intent. You And I don't have any control over it. I have no control over my talent. It's, it's born in right. at right. least to the extent I mean, I see talent a little differently. I see it like a balloon. Like when you're so focused in the process where there's the limits to each person's individual talent, but nobody knows what that is. Right. I don't know what mine with. Nobody knows. So eventually you're going to expand that balloon and it's going to increase only so much, right? But nobody knows what that is. What you do have control over is those intrinsic pieces, the choices, the process, those things that you do along the way. And that's the part in my story from high school that I wanted to get across to kids that my coach at that time and other people on the team, they don't get to measure how good I think I can be. Only I can do that. I will take ownership. And if I don't win, so what? At least I gave everything I had and I can be proud of those efforts in the process and take that out. That's kind of how I, I look at talent. So I think people too, put too much weight on that. Yeah. Like, oh, you're, you're talent. And they make it, they pigeonhole an athlete. And like, God, the guy's, he's 10. Yeah. 10 years old. We've talked, I mean, about that a lot. We've talked about that. Yeah. So I talk about that a lot that parents come to me at, you know, and I've worked in elite programs and I've seen elite athletes and parents will come to me and the kid's eight and they're just not a good competitor. And they're like, well, do they even have the abilities to go? And I'm like, I, my ego is not large enough to tell you if your kid is that kind of talented because I've seen kids at eight that win every single meet and can't even do a kit by 12. And I've seen eight-year-olds that were a hot mess at 13 become one of the greatest athletes I've ever seen. Right. So I, I'm not one, and that has nothing to do with my coaching. I, I put the coaching system together and I throw them in that system. And I say, if you want to be successful, this is what you have to do. But I'm not a screamer. I'm not a yeller. I'm not going to force them. I'm gonna like, this is the system. I know it works um, if you apply yourself. So I think, I think from that standpoint, I think that's where you are underestimated by coaches and talent. Cause I think athletic talent, people can see from the outside, but that inner talent to be determined, I think has a lot to do with your parents. And then it has a lot to do with that inner strength that you brought to the table that other, right. you said you woke up one day and you said, I'm done sucking. Yes. Well, <laughs> I actually it. saw that guy at that meet. I saw the guy at that meet. Yeah. And the attitude was, that's how good I want to be. I'm like, holy, that's not, you know. Because sooner or later, what all people, and your daughter can speak to this because she's a life coach. What all people have to have in common, no matter how good your coach is, one day they have to get sick of their own BS. Mm -hmm. And they have to say, I can be great, or I can be better, or I can be whatever word you want to use. And then the true talent kicks in then. Right. which is all exactly what you spoke on from the inside out. Right. That's where the true that, talent lies as a coach. And, and maybe it's just my experiences because coaches and I around the office, we get in discussions about this. And I, I would, I would take the approach. If I had a kid come to me that say was a hot mess, like you had explained mm -hmm. and said, look, this is, I want to do this. My attitude toward that would be, okay, here's the process. This is the path. My attitude would not be what I see a lot of coaches do say, well, I got to be honest with you. I'm not sure you have what it takes. Yeah. You're not it's good. Not, enough. Yeah. I'm not, it's <laughs> not my, I'm not in that position to do, I would never do that No. because I've seen, and there are too many examples of the opposite happening. Mm -hmm. Person being told you can't, you'll never be good enough. I experienced that and have the exact opposite come out of that. So let the kids outcome happen the way it happens based on what they put in. Absolutely. They'll learn from that. Why crush his dream? I would, I could never crush a kid's dreams like that. No. Well, that's why you're a good edu educator though. And that's why the Absolutely. book came across the way it does come across because you, you learn that. And I have, I have athletes and I've, I will have had athletes that come to him and say, I want to be in the major leagues or whatever. And what we do as coaches is we write out the plan. Yep. Say, okay, this is what you have to do to do that. Now, yeah. if you want to do that, that's up to you. Well, I think talent, I mean, define what is talent. Can you jump out of a building? Maybe not. Can you outrun everybody else? No, but can you learn 
such a defined detail to focus to skill that you become a great engineer through athletics absolutely mm -hmm. can you mm -hmm. become such a great leader with a, in a team that you become a great cfo or ceo absolutely mm -hmm. all that stuff comes through athletics because you became such a such a you know uh through you you, you focused and you became such a great athlete but you weren't the fastest person you weren't the strongest person and you didn't have a coach that said no i'm sorry you can't be an athlete mm -hmm. You allowed them to pursue their dreams through athletics that it then, because here's the reality. None of us are going to be a, a, an athlete. Like we can still pursue <laughs> athletics. Right. We can be professional athletes. Nobody is all their life. Right. It doesn't happen. Well, it ends sometime. Absolutely. I don't care how good you sometime. are. Um, right. I, I think I can still be on the senior PGA tour. <laughs> <laughs> eventually you're going to take those golf clubs and they're going to go six feet under <laughs> that's true i mean that's true but for any coach to say no i'm sorry you can't do this yeah but i see it all the time to happen it's all always absolutely football coaches in our area are notorious for doing that. oh yeah saying you know and then saying you can't you know and i'm like let that happen if maybe you're right maybe you're wrong yeah. see i don't want to air if i'm going to air i'm going to air on the side of the kid makes that decision yeah. on his own yep. not me yeah. that's where and you know and kids will surprise themselves they'll you know like you said a kid at six or eight is not the same kid at 14 mm -hmm. yeah 15. and the kid at 14 is not the same kid at 21 i myself was a late bloomer i mean my god i didn't uh grow air in my chest until i was well <laughs> into college for crying out loud <laughs> I, I i didn't read my physical peak my reach my physical peak until after I graduated college, I remember coming back for an alumni meet. My coach looked at me and he's like, you're better than you were when you won nationals. I'm like, but I can't do it. You know, it was over gymnastics. You, you couldn't go to the Olympics as a specialist. It's another yeah. thing they don't know about gymnastics in my era. They have some of it now, but you hear all around, you could be the best in the world on an event. In fact, I know some people that were that never got to compete at the Olympic level because it's not like track. Like if you're the fastest sprinter in the world, you want to do the hundred yard dash. You can just do that at track. Right. Can't do that in gymnastics. Yeah. So that's it. Your career's over and you move on to something else. Like you said, it's going to end. And even if you could, even for the Olympians, that's going to end too. Simone Biles, it's going to end for her too. Right. All There's of a perfect example of someone who is a hot mess. When the, she first came onto the elite scene, that girl was a hot mess when she was a junior. Because we just had uh, uh, Kinsey Hedges on, who was an elite for seven years and went to Kentucky. And she her second or second to third last year simone came onto the scene and she said oh my lord did she, <laughs> she was everywhere you know but there's a prime example of someone that you know her determination and everything else just you know jonathan horton again another and i i say to anybody any football especially football if gary fensick can play safety right in the nfl that's a great game one can <laughs> here's the thing. i can probably still outrun at gary fencing this is <laughs> i tell folks tom brady ran his 40 at the combine in a pair of khakis wow <laughs> and he got outran by obviously you know 320 330 pound linemen yep. he ran it but he ran it in a pair of khakis <laughs> you know and here we are talking possibly obviously debatably the greatest nfl player of all time because of his intense desire to study, prepare, continue to make his body better, refusing to just submit until he decides that he's ready to give up. And eventually, yes, it will come time that he realizes he can't compete at the level he wants to compete at. Eventually, yep. But if you would had all those coaches, and there's a reason he was a sixth round draft pick at that point in time, because his measurable said he's a sixth round draft pick. But he has proven all the scouts and all the coaches and with the coaching he had at the time, him and Belichick were a great mesh at that point in time, and he had to have the opportunity to get in. But if you watched a guy running the 40 in a pair of khakis, he's, oh, yeah, there's no way. Yeah, he's not here. Yeah. Well, look at the seven rings on his face. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. There's right. a reason he determined that he would not be satisfied with where he was at. And the chip on his shoulder kind of yeah. helped with that. He was well, and people telling him he, he wasn't good enough. Yeah, that's where you find out where you're, what kind of metal you're made of right there. You know, now your, your back is against the wall. What are you going to do? You know, yeah. and one of the nice, one of the best things that I ever heard Simone I, in an interview with Simone Biles, um, somebody asked her, and I, don't quote me on how exactly this went about, but somebody asked her, you know, you've won everything already. You know, 
why are you still competing? You know, what are you, what's your goal? And her response rung so true with me because I'm like, did you read my book? Because it was like, <laughs> so like, wait a minute, because her response was, I want to see how good I can be. I want to see how far I can push this. Well, that's it. That's that message is throughout the book. That's the whole idea. You're not just competing against other people. You're really competing to see what talents you have and how good you can be. And that may be way beyond everybody else, which is where she's at. Right. Oh, yeah. She's setting the bar so high that it may never be reached. So, I mean, she she although Kinsey, who we had on the show, and I actually work with her now. She's my beam and floor coach that I work with. She uh, she was competing. Yeah. your chinko double pike before it was cool like yeah. way back in the <laughs> early 2000s she's like i did it before simone did <laughs> but i'm like yeah but simone does it on four events <laughs> well after seeing after seeing michaela maroney vault in 2012 i think it was yeah i remember talking to one of the elite coaches i'm not sure where what country she is from but on facebook and i asked her directly you know why aren't they doing your chinko doubles yeah. And one of the comments, it got into a big conversation. It's oh, safety, this, safety, this. And I'm like, I'm yeah, telling you, safety. There, there's so <laughs> many things. That, I'm telling you, they can do this. There yeah. are people that can, I know it. And you're, what year was that that she actually did that? And Kinsey was, I want to say 2000. When did she graduate? 2002. But she was doing them in the gym, yeah. landing them pretty easily. In real early 2000s, late 90s. Yeah, and I, 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 just watching them vault. I, I'm TV now. I'm not even there in person. Right. Just watching them vault on television. I'm saying to myself, I know these coaches are doing. They're doing it in the gym. Yeah. I know they are, and they're twisted. Yeah. Simone can twist that. Yeah. That double she does. She yeah. twists that now. It's so. Crazy. She's. I don't a, know. She's a physical specimen. I mean, it helps being four eight, but. Uh, and being built like, I mean, she looks like a UFC fighter. I know. I, and I love that body type. I'm a big conditioning guy. So I love that short, stocky, muscular body type for gymnastics. And, you know, uh, Kinsey was exactly like that. She was she was very compact and, and strong. So I love that body type. But yeah, there's things. And I used to say, I always say, you know, if you want to see what the girls are going to be doing in five years, watch the men now. And, you know, it's just, it's just Simone's catching up fast. I mean, well, she that gap between the that. two, yeah, the gap the gap between the two is changed. starting to narrow a little bit, right? Right, right. A little bit. It's crazy. So, and I'm kind of, I'm kind of sad that she's, you know, that this will probably be her last Olympics. I'm kind of, I'm like, man, if, oof, if she had another four years, I don't know what she'd be doing. Right. Well, she may, maybe she'll move into the UFC and, you know, <laughs> she may, she may, she's, she's unbelievable. And she has set the bar so high that, you know, they're talking about widening the beam and doing everything else just so other people can catch up. So it's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, she's, she's definitely that, that next She's the Jordan of gymnastics. I mean, oh yeah, definitely. And and this By a is a long amazing. shot. Yeah, I mean, and she—it's amazing because I mean, I coached I the my first coaching experience as a head coach. I was coaching floor at a level five meet, and I look to my left, and it's Valeri Lukin and Kim Zameskel, mm-hmm. and I look to my right, and it's Kurt Thomas. So I'm the only person coaching floor at that time that did not have some kind of medal, <laughs> and I'm like. I didn't even, man, I, what am I doing here? Like, is, are we at nationals? No, this is a level five meet. Why are they here? And at one time, those were, I mean, Valeri Lucan, you know, was close to that Michael Jordan status. But then yeah. uh, then Simone came along and said, ah, I'm going to change everything. Well, how many people in, I mean, a sport that's measured by tenths of a point yeah. can fall off two of the events and still win the all around. That's it's, never it's been, I've never seen that ever. It's like winning a Super Bowl by 72 points. I know. It's like crazy. It's crazy good. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's a cool. It's, I'm sorry for COVID because I'm like, man, yeah. Olympics would have been spectacular. So hopefully it will be this year. But it's just, I mean, people deserve to see her do gymnastics. 
And it always reminds me of that movie, The Cutting Edge, that old ice, uh, ice skating movie. But there's yes. one scene that resonates with me as a coach. And I say it to my girls all the time. And I'm like, you know what would be nice? If you could go out and show these judges what I get to see in the gym every day. Oh, that's good. <laughs> I'm like, and I tell my girls that all the time. And then they're always like, shouldn't you be doing that in a Russian accent? Isn't that from the coach's <laughs> head? I'm like, I'm like, if I do it in Russian accent, you listen better. <laughs> I wouldn't even attempt to do a Russian accent. <laughs> <laughs> You've heard so many of them. Uh, but Kirk, it, it's been a joy to have you on. Uh, awesome. This was a really good conversation. And I think Thanks. a lot of people are going to learn from it. Please get his book. That yeah, book is awesome. The book is, the book is so good. I got one more question though. Oh, sorry. Oh. I went creeping on your Facebook page. <laughs> Obviously it looks like you're a DC fan. Yeah. I'm a big sci-fi fan. Let all of that. So my sons and I, we have this fight probably at once a month. What's better DC or Marvel? Oh my gosh. I like them. I try not to, you know, place things in categories, but I would say, Oh, okay, I don't know. Who's the, who's the, who's the best superhero then? I like Superman and Thor. Okay. So there's one for me each, right? Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. But um, it's hard for me to pick. I do think that the Marvel tends to have films that are a little bit more elaborate. Right. You know, a, little, a little bit better in some of their writing, but yeah. I like both of them. It's hard for me to pick. Depends. Okay. I'm, a, I'm a huge Wolverine guy. I like him too. Wolverine I like X-Men, all of them. A Wolverine and Hulk. And then, yep. of course, my evil side likes Deadpool. So my, <laughs> my wife loves that. She my loves dark, Deadpool. My dark humor wishes I was Wolverine or, or Deadpool. Deadpool. <laughs> but, uh, I'm, I'm kind of on that darker side right. of what about you, Will? I'm straight up corny. I'm a huge Spider-Man fan. Oh, Spider-Man. Spider-Man. I like Spider-Man. I, I, I like Superman. I mean, I go all the way to the, go ahead. Oh, I was oh. going to say Superman for Will because of his value system. I, well, I, Superman is just straight up white bread corny to me. I mean, well, I, I, I like him, but like, if if the rock, if a, if a, if a piece of rock is the only thing that can stop me, and then my son's obviously is there really son, bravery? My son's going is that massive. What you're no, it's just like he's just too plain generic. But then my son's going this massive tangent because they are both total uh, comic book comic book nerds, and they tell me all this other stuff. I'm like, okay, that was not like it was when I was growing up. And I know way too much stuff for me. And we argue this all the time because they're both total DC fanboys. And I'm like, Marvel's better. But I say that just to. I think the movies in Marvel are better. Yeah, yes. I would agree uh, with that. Uh, but I think the comic book wise, I think they're both pretty yeah, even. They're good. And then I, I would give it to Marvel if it wasn't for Batman. Batman is too dark. That's what I love about it, though. And <laughs> That's why he likes so Deadpool. Yeah. yeah, and I love the fact that he's like, "What's my superpower?" And he's like, "I'm rich." Like that. <laughs> I know. I see. That was good. You, then you guys saw the most recent. Uh, yeah, was that crazy? It was a totally. It was way better movie. than the first. Oh, way totally different movie. Totally different. And it sets up the universe so much better. But it was also four and a half hours. So. <laughs> I watched the whole thing one sitting. Did you really? I, had I sat through the whole thing. thing. Yeah. It, it's, I mean, it's I go from there. Movie. Do you remember Matrix? Do you guys like Matrix? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I go from there all the way to Lord of the Rings. I mean, I'm all over yeah. the board. I mean, That's I watch cool. all that stuff. I don't know. It's funny. I'm, I write. I write nonfiction, but I watch and I read fiction. Well, there you okay. go. You should try it. You should try a fiction book. You should try it. And you should. Why not? I write. I write screenplays and. Uh, yeah. Games. Yeah. From my comedy days, because uh, I did stand up for about 10 years. And then for three years, I got that's the only thing on my W2 was stand up comic, which is a cool thing to put on your W2. Like, <laughs> I'm like, this is all I do. Like, <laughs> but uh, it's a very dark world. And so I went, I moved it more to public speaking and, and inspirational stuff because it was just too dark for me. And, uh, you know, I don't drink. I don't, I don't do drugs. I don't drink. I'm not saying that that's all that's in that industry, <laughs> but it is a party industry. You know, they're oh, yeah. working yeah, entertainment. Yes. Yeah. And they're like yeah. 2 AM and they're like, let's go, let's go. And I'm like, I got two kids at home. I got to go home. So, but yeah. it has been a total joy to have you on. Yeah. I had a great time with you guys. Too. Thank you. <laughs> I, I can't uh, believe how well you guys uh, picked up on all the pieces of the book. I, you know, you know, as an author, you don't really get to get that kind of connection that that close to people are like, well, what are their thoughts? 
So yeah. I, I, all the points that you guys made were the points I wanted to get across. And you could, if you could, anybody that you get that reads it, they can contact me with questions. I'm okay. very good about that. That is, I feel that's part of my responsibility. If someone reads a book and says, I don't understand this, or I'd like to ask a question about this. I, I respond. My wife gets mad at me because I will literally be out to dinner. I'll get a note on the phone. Oh, I read your book. On, Hold on, honey. Yeah. <laughs> it is not like that, but I, I just feel it's, it's my responsibility to do that. I mean, I just Absolutely. feel it's important. Well, and I was telling Will how excited I was when you first got back to me, when I, when I asked you to be on the show, because, uh, we, you know, I enjoyed the book so much. And then I, as soon as you agreed, I dropped it off and Will read it in pretty much one sitting. So yeah. uh, he loved it too. So well, I just wrote down Tyler and Luke, that's my sons, reach out to Coach Mango. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are they reading it now or are they well, about? This is going to be uh, basically summer reading for them very quickly. So, yeah. Will's a good dad. He's uh, a, yeah. he's a much better dad than me. I let my uh, kids look, watch well, Deadpool. Why don't you ask them first and then we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we we definitely want to have you on again we absolutely. actually we actually are uh here's the announcement we're actually going to make it right now we are launching a new podcast called full circle warrior yeah okay. that is about coaching and life and uh it's faith family and fitness mostly yeah. and uh when i say faith i mean faith in god but i also mean faith in yourself faith in everything around you uh, faith in what you're doing when you look in the mirror in the morning, faith in the person you, that's staring back at you, that kind of thing. So we definitely want to have you on that podcast also. So oh, anytime I, I will come on with you guys anytime. This has been a great experience for me. Right. I love cool. That's awesome. Well, thanks again, Kirk. And we will talk to you soon. Yes. Thanks, Thank Kirk. you, sir. Thank Bye. you. Bye-bye.